Welcome to the August edition of From the Rookery End. Uh, we're three lifelong Watford fans, season ticket holders of the Rookery End, uh, and these podcasts are our take on life as a Watford fan. My name is John, with me is Jason. Hello. And Mike. Oh, Watford, we love you. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of the mood that we're in, I suppose, after this, uh, the weekend 6-1 win. Uh, on this podcast, uh, we're going to be chatting to Watford author Lionel Burney on his fifth, yes, his fifth book about the Mighty Hornets. Uh, we'll be adding a wedding transportation and digital object to our list of Watford in 100 objects and uh, we'll, we're going to have to talk about how amazing this, this season has started off to be, well, or has it been? We, our podcast, pre-season podcast, Michael, we were incredibly positive, um, even you were positive, which is, is weird. In your opinion, Mike, has this been a good start to the season? Three games, three wins, um, an ever-increasing amount of goals per game. <laughs> yeah. One, three, six, all well, that seems to be exponentially increasing. It would take a very mean-spirited and um, uh, grumpy person to, to pick holes in that sort of start. It's been, um, yeah, it's been brilliant, hasn't it? It's been, it's, I think it's been what we hoped it would be. Um, and we're obviously, <clears throat> obviously a note of caution because football is very difficult. And we said in the last podcast, championships completely mental, hard to predict. Um, games against away at Birmingham, very very difficult place to go. Bournemouth come up. We've all seen how dangerous promoted sides can be. So we knew that there was going to be danger, but we hoped we'd overcome it. And so far we have. Yeah, and in some style. And yeah, yeah definitely. We'll talk about the details of the game a bit later on. But Jason, that was a big win, six-one. We've had a few of those recently. Uh, we had, uh, we had uh, Millwall away, we had uh, Leeds away, big wins. Where did this one sit for you out of those big, um, big wins? I think they're three very different wins. Uh, we know the, the Millwall one was at a time when we probably didn't expect to go to the new den and win, let alone win 6-1. Uh, it was a strange day, six different goal scorers and, and uh, yeah, it was fantastic to go to somewhere like Millwall. Um, we've talked on the podcast before about getting a result anywhere in the championship is a, is a good thing. So to go somewhere like Millwall, hostile atmosphere, to come away with a 6-1 win at a time when, yeah, we were, we were up against it. It was a time when we had to play a lot of our youth players. It was Danny Graham's great season. Well, he only got one that day. Um, yeah, fantastic result. Leeds last year, uh, from my perspective, there's a sort of a, a, a family thing going on there. I know a few Leeds fans and... So that was particularly nice to be able to, to rub it in. Obviously, we benefited from uh, Crazy Warnock and his uh, well, three, and three substitutions yeah. and the sending off and the injury to, to Rudy Austin, wasn't it? Um, and I think it was a bit of a procession at the end. Um, but still, yeah, great to go up somewhere like Leeds and, and win 6-1. What was it uh, about this game? Well, it was just such a strange game. If you'd have asked anyone at half-time... And said, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna coast this second half." They'd go, yeah, "Don't be silly." Yeah. Uh, it, we were not. Well, we were second best, I think, first half after we scored the goal. Um, Bournemouth pretty much ran the show for the rest of the half. Um, but we did a chat after the game about that game, uh, which will play out later on. We were at the game on Saturday uh, with Lionel and Jason's uh, instant reaction. We'll get it in a minute, uh, in, in a while. Um, 
We started off though, Mike, this podcast, we recorded a little bit at, at Bristol Rovers, uh, we met up with uh, Dr Billio uh, from, from Twitter, a Watford fan who lives down that way, and uh, we had a chat about uh, Brit Asambalonga being sold to Peterborough, which means this is the last time we get to play this jingle. This is Brit Asambalonga doing the conga, on from the rookie end. We're here at Bristol. It's half time. Bristol Rovers uh, one, Watford three. There's been fewer goals than John's had points of superb <laughs> West Country scrumpy as well. You've got to love the scrumpy, Mike. Uh, I'm John. Mike's with me. Good evening. Uh, and so is uh, at Dr. Billy. Hi there. Uh, Bill uh, is a big uh, Watford fan that lives down here in the West Country. Um, and we, we get him on because he's an amazing man on Twitter with a, with a piece. Now, that's where we have to be to get on from the record. Oh, yeah, an amazing <laughs> man. And that's all. We don't, we don't yeah. set the bar that high. It's a sensible opinion. One of the talking points we've had recently is about British Unbelonging. Now, Brit is a man who's come from the, the community trust and the development team that is there. Last week, we sold him to Peterborough. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're what fan? You must have seen on Twitter. Sumbalonga sold to, to Peterborough. First, what was your first reaction to, to seeing him being sold? Well, your, your first reaction when you see a, a young kid like that leave is you think, oh, he's gone for nothing, we've just let him go. And I was a bit angry because I'd been looking forward to Brit and talking about some of the players like Murray and uh, Mensa. This is their step-up season. They're going to they're gonna have to do it. And I thought, I put some longer in, in that category. Yeah, I thought this was his chance to break through. And I was quite disappointed that we let him go, especially given the new rules about six homegrown players in the squad. So quite disappointed. And then and about 30 seconds later I heard how much we'd sold him for and I was like <laughs> that's the right piece of business to do for a player who is completely unproven at championship level because we, we haven't we don't technically we don't know the exact amount the, well, we, what we know the is the rumour Pete, well no we, we know that Peterborough have announced on their website that they smashed their transfer fee right, for Sumbalonga and their transfer fee before was 1.1 million so we've got to be talking at least 1.2 maybe even more so, what, but, but you're, you're some sort of scientist aren't you so the transfer fee was greater than greater than 1.1 <laughs> Uh, and a, a, uh, a descriptor of smashed greater than 1.1 million. Uh, and not only that, there was a very tasty, apparently, sell-on clause. So if he becomes worth 20 million, I, you know, I suspect it's somewhere between 15 and 25% of that will come back to us. And also, not only that, we've also got first refusal on him. So before Peterborough can sell him to anybody else, they have to offer him to us. So we've got the option, first option, to buy him back as well. So if he turns out to be out of class, we'll have him back. It was an, in- it was an interesting week, actually, wasn't it? Because we saw Hog, uh, Jonathan Hogsify earlier in, in the week as well. And uh, for, for Watford fans who have been used to seeing a steady stream of sort of uh, fairly high-profile players coming in, and, you know, let's be honest, we've been, la- yeah, we've been <laughs> lauding it over pretty much everyone in, not just the division, but pretty much the entire country about the calibre of players we're bringing in. So it's quite interesting to see two players go out and it, I think it jarred a few people it's quite interesting to see the reaction Hogg was an interesting one because he wanted to go and we obviously I think if a player has to go you let him go and with the Sombolongo I think it was the first real um, illustration of the reverse Pozzo model i.e. the price comes in that's right they're going to go but they're going to make more, sure that's that more money right. that's more money than we got for Will Buckley well and the other thing is it does make you just hang your head in despair at some of the deals that have been done previously by previous owners I think uh, the previous incumbent of the uh, of the keys to the to the boardroom it, we all know he wasn't the brightest spark in the uh, brightest spark in the what <laughs> I don't know but he, he, was, he was a bit of a donut so he, he wasn't going to do it but even under Malky and, and Dyson and people like that we've never 
historically got decent money for players, and, and it, I think it really does put into context the, the owners we've got now and how much they do in business. To, to, before you cut me off, John, I can tell you what you know, I know what he's trying to do, he's trying to stop me, but I won't be, I won't be halted. Uh, what for the three one up, free flowing stuff, so it's just free flowing from uh, from Marcus. But um, so I was interested to see along the ensemble on the hour. I was like Bill, I was slightly disappointed, but when you see the price you understand why. And then I just wanted to pick up on the point you made about what the team we were gonna see here tonight at, at Bristol Rovers. And was it gonna be a first string was your was your question. And, and it's not, it patently isn't. There's five or six it's not the first eleven, yeah, it's, five it's, or six, seven the first, changes. It's the first team squad. Yeah, but there, and there's a there's big changes from Birmingham, but this is a team that you would put out in a championship picture and be right. and be confident and proud. So again that's just a real reminder as to where we are. Um, so those two things I think the, the, the team tonight changes but a, a strong team and the, and the ensemble on the transfer are actually cause for, for real uh, optimism. We, we're a club now with ambition and ensemble longer even if he'd have stayed at Watford this season you know he'd have probably played tonight he might have played in a couple of the League Cup games and he might have got a, a, a run out against Yeovil but you know, how many games was he actually going to play for us this season with the likes of Acuna and Dini ahead of him in the side you know he wasn't going to get a lot of football likely he'd have probably played a few games start the season gone out on loan again it's, you know, we're a team going places. We, we, unless you're better than Dini, unless you're better than Acuna, what's the point in being here? The, the Pozos are building a team to go to the Premiership, and then, and they, you know, he might turn out to be class, in which case he'll buy him back for five million, and everybody will be happy. He's very, very bullish, Bill, isn't he? he I like it. I really like it. No, personally, put it around. But Mike, with, with that sort of, okay, how do you become Brits on Malonga, Watford youth team player, Sean Murray, Watford youth team player, scoring two goals here to becoming a first team? Because we're going to go into different unknown realms over the next couple of seasons. Uh, I know that several Watford players have gone out on loan over the last couple of years, but we're going to be in a, a, a very different place than what we're used to as Watford fans. Our team isn't going to be filled with young players filling the void, which is how I sort of felt about Lee Hodgson. Yeah, you know, he, was, he was a good player, but he was filling a void. I think we've, we've championed the, the academy cause on, on from the referee end right from the get-go and rightly so but I think it was almost, we had to defend it because we had to put up with it almost and I, I do mean put up with it because we were so bereft of cash so bereft of the ability to bring players in that we had to rely on, on the academy more than anyone should have to and I don't think any of the managers have brought all those players through Thompson, Hodgson, uh, Britt made appearances, would have wanted to bring them through when they did. The fact that they performed so well is is great testament to the academy but we shouldn't have had to rely on them to that extent and I don't think the Potsers are stupid they realise that how vital the academy is going to be they don't want to kill the goose that lays the golden egg they've just got them. 1.something million from Brits on Belonga and that's what they're into they're into money to, and to reinvesting so they they understand the um, the importance of it which I think is important but you know I think you could say that Brits has been unlucky he, he had a he had a superb season for, for South End last year and well, it, uh, the second half of the season he, you know he tailed off you know he's not but that, is, that, is that not just youth and, and well, I think experience? Well, I think the point I was going to go on to you know, he's still young. You know, what's to say he's going to be a 20 goal a season yeah, championship yeah, player? And but you need footballers need a bit of luck in their career, and he didn't get the break that he perhaps needed at Watford for, for a number of reasons. And he's gone elsewhere. It's, it will, looks like it's going to be a move that works out well for him, and it's one that's worked out well for Watford. And Sean Murray has got a long contract. Tommy Hoban, who had a bit of bad luck last year, you know, he's had a big injury. He's still out. Yeah, injury. But he was in that side, and he didn't. Look like being moved out of it, no matter who came in. So 
you know, the, the stats about footballers coming through are, are horrific. Young footballers, the amount of, of academy people who don't who get told you've got no career in the game, um, is staggering. So you do need luck all the way through. And I think in, we, we talk about Brit a lot because I guess he's the he's the case study. But you just need a bit of luck, and it didn't quite break for him uh, at Watford, and we wish him well. With more chat than Vidra's agent, this is from the Rookery End. It's always tough putting a Christmas list together. I don't know when you're trying to put your list together for Santa Claus, Jason. You find it hard these days? Oh, I do. I'm, I'm, what do you get the man who's got almost everything? Well, okay. and you Watford shirt, maybe. But one thing that's been one thing that's been quite good the last few years is uh, the fact that Lana Burney has been putting out Watford books every year, which takes one present off the thought process. Um, been good, good set of books recently. They are absolutely fantastic. What what I like about um, Lionel's books is they seem to span time. Certainly, the the, the most recent ones we've had the uh, um, Tales from the Vicarage Volume One, the Tales from the Vicarage Volume One, uh, hundred greatest games that have you can just sort of pick them up, read individual chapters about individual games, and whether you're an old git like me who uh, <laughs> has sort of vague memories of the of the uh, early 80s uh, when we were obviously very successful um, or if you're a fairly more recent fan and you, you, you didn't uh, experience any of that yeah. time of Watford's glory years uh, or, or and times before that or, or things you can't quite remember you can read these these, these books you can get an idea of, of what actually happened and certainly with the tales from the vicarage you get a, a good idea of what it was like for other fans how they experienced some of these sort of special days and special moments in Watford's history uh, and I was back with uh, uh, tales of the vicarage volume 2 uh, and I caught up with him the other day at his house to find out a little bit more about it so Lionel you're on the podcast therefore there must be uh, another Watford book coming out soon there is it will be out hopefully in the international break in mid-September when people have got a fortnight without Watford and are just suffering withdrawal symptoms they'll have a dozen chapters to read about their favourite club and it's our favourite club exactly. the best club in the world it's a follow up or a, it's a follow up or is it a well it's a, it's a it's a second volume of the same concept Tales from the Vicarage that came out last year was a collection of I think 12 chapters it might have been 11 by a number of different writers all of whom have a connection with Watford in some way they've either worked for the local media or for the club or lifelong supporters and the concept for volume 2 is very similar it's a dozen stories about the club by 12 different writers any returning authors from last year? we've kept some of the people from the first edition of the book and we've brought in some new names um, some of whom will be familiar to readers uh, some won't it's, it's very much the Gianfranco Zola squad rotation system we've tried to add to the strength of last year's book um, and we gave everybody who wrote last year an opportunity to come back to pitch ideas we think we've got a, a collection of stories that is equally good if not better than last year's any, any particular highlight things do you think people should be looking forward to well we've got Mike Walters who may well be a new um, name to Watford fans he's kind of He's been a sports writer for the Daily Mirror for 20-odd years. I think he's kept his, his yellow, red and black 
roots very carefully hidden um, in that time because it, he's, he, last year he's, his coverage of the club and the pop shows and all of that was probably the, the most informed and fairest of all, certainly of the mm. tabloid writers. And um, so perhaps it won't come as a surprise to people when they learn that he, he is underneath his his Fleet Street impartiality. He is a Watford supporter, and so he has you know he clearly knows what's going on. He's, he's not sort of gone from a knee-jerk line that a lot of the people who haven't done their research or don't really know a, a little bit about the pop show. So Mike, I'm delighted to be able to contact Mike and get him on board and he's written a piece which tells a story of probably Watford's most amazing away trip ever, which was to Sofia uh, 30 years ago this autumn in the UEFA Cup where they played Levski Spartak who at the time were one of those kind of East European teams that we would have known absolutely nothing about mm. um, and uh, Watford drew the first leg 1-1 and for all intents and purposes would get thrashed in Bulgaria um, but they actually went over there drew 1-1 in normal time and then won 3-1 in extra time and uh, it probably I think Graham Taylor said it, it's, it's probably the result that gets the least kind of credit from his first era simply because so few Watford fans would have seen it yeah. but Mike was there um, and he tells a great story about travelling behind the Iron Curtain and uh, in those days, I mean, it was quite an extraordinary trip to go on. So it's one of those matches that means so much because, you know, Watford in Europe it only ever happened once so far. You know, they were completely written off. It was, it was basically Watford's reserve team at the time as well because of the number of injuries and, uh, that the squad had. So there was a real sense of kind of breaking new territory and, and sort of going where no Hornet had been before and that really comes across in Mike's chapter. Is this the chapter from Adam Leventhal? Adam that? from Sky Sports News is back. Yeah, he looks at the, the noble art of goal scoring and he's spoken to a number of uh, Watford strikers over the years, over the last sort of 20, 30 years about this kind of mythical 20 goal a season target that strikers, they, they seem to be born with this, this target sort of um, you know, it's, it's ingrained in their brain somehow. It's in the DNA of a striker. Must get to 20 goals. Must get to 20 goals. And of course, it's not as easy as all that um, because even with a 46-game season, you're looking at scoring, you know, more or less every other game, aren't you? So um, he looks at what it takes. Um, he's spoken to some Luther Blissett and Paul Wilkinson and uh, various other strikers from the last 30 odd years um, just to find out, you know what it is about that target and also the, the boys from Be Happy Matt and uh, Ian have got chapters about what, what an era which the 90s sort of, sort of does get missed out almost yeah, in, in, in a way it's interesting. And, and we'll, as we go in the future I think it, more and more it will sort mm. of be brushed well, over I think it's interesting that both Ian and Matt who's their, their very successful and popular website initially blind, stupid and desperate wasn't it yeah um, at the sort of dawn of the internet age and when, when football supporters really found a voice that transcended the fanzines really um, you know Ian and Matt are both, both very gifted writers they've got a real um, ability to kind of convey emotion as well as just the, the sort of facts of, of what happened and I've given all the writers a kind of blank sheet of paper to start from um, and it was really interesting that they both picked the 1990s and that Ian picked kind of the real doom and gloom years, kind of the, the, the years of, of famine that were, sam they weren't really sandwiched, I mean they were sandwiched between the first Graham Taylor era and the second Graham Taylor era, but if you remember that period of time where the managers all sort of merge into one yeah. 
inadequate manager. Um, <laughs> Let's call him Trevor. <laughs> you know, yeah. Dave Bassett and Steve Harrison, bless him, wasn't cut out for the role of manager. And then Colin Lee was yeah. useless. And then Steve Perryman was just dour beyond belief. And then Glenn Roder, you willed Glenn Roder to sort of turn, uh, you know, it really was the kind of the proverbial pig's ear that he was given to try and make into a, a silk purse and just never was going to manage it simply because of the, the way that Jack Petchy kept such a tight rein on the on the money and there was never any investment really in the team to speak of and when he did have some money to spend he spent it on Jamie Morley which <laughs> I mean you, you, you lost a little bit of sympathy for him there I think it's really important, particularly at the moment when we're on surfing on the crest of the Pozzo's wave, to remember that it's only 15 odd years ago that, that the team was t- pretty terrible. The football was turgid a lot of the time. The crowds were tiny. Mm-hmm. You know, the game in uh, in, in the, the, the sort of the nadir of that era, the Petchy era, when Watford lost three 0 at home to Grimsby. Um, and the fans so angry at the kind of the, the fact that Petchy would sell anyone that was any good immediately. They stormed the director's box, and it was all you know. It was a it was a nasty atmosphere that evening, and everyone was very dissatisfied. But then when you look at the, the attendance figure, it was five thousand for for what is now a championship game. Yeah. The club had really sort of fallen apart, and Ian captured all of that kind of. It wasn't even turmoil. You can't even describe that era as turmoil. It was just sort of flatlining. But he described it beautifully and tops and tails it with the fact that by the end of the 90s, Watford had been reborn. Um, and so it ties in really nicely with Matt's chapter, which is a, quite a creative, dramatic look at the penalty shootout win against Birmingham oh, in 1999 okay. in the playoff semi final, which, until the Leicester playoff semi final, was probably the most dramatic evening. I mean, it was basically 10 minutes of yeah. heart stopping drama, that penalty shootout. But attention spans are a lot shorter now, so we now all remember the. 60 seconds of drama in the Leicester playoff, don't we? So there's a real mix. You said it's out in a couple of weeks. Uh, how can someone find out when it's going to? Well, how they get hold of we it? as soon as we as soon as we've gone to press, we'll know when the book will be available. The best way to keep in touch is to um, uh, follow Tales from the Vic on Twitter. There's also a Tales from the Vicarage Facebook page, and we update that as well. So as soon as the book is um, is available, and keep an eye on the Watford Observer as well, because we'll let them know um, when the book's available. So on the problem with we'll make sure we know that as well. Of course, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're very good to us, John. Ladies and gentlemen, climb aboard the Zola Coaster with From the Rookery End. Scream if you want to go faster! Uh, make sure you go and check out the, uh, the From the Rookery End blog, uh, fromtherookeryend.com. Uh, there's lots and lots of things there uh, that you can either read about uh, or get involved with the podcast. Uh, there is uh, Colin Cowan's take on the Watford under 15 team that were at the uh, the Milk Cup recently in Northern Ireland. That's quite good, isn't it, Mike? Yep, I think that's really important because uh, we talk a lot about the um, the youth and producing the, the next generation of Watford players here on the podcast. We're a big, we're a big champion that cause, and um, it was great that Colin was over there and he, he gave us uh, his top three performances from that uh, from that Milk Cup tournament so well worth checking out uh, there's also uh, a great video that um, uh, Matt uh, Furness Watford uh, fan uh, put up on, uh, on, on Twitter I uh, sort of put uh, a link around because we talked about old cassette tapes didn't we Jason uh, on the end of the season about what you've still got uh, it was the old video of the Evening Standard 5 tournament which Watford won in uh, 1993 it was 
it's, it's fantastic watching that sort of footage. It was it's a good old days, yeah, when uh, when teams would enter five-a-side tournaments with uh, with strong lineups as well. No no fear of them getting injured and missing important league games. Uh, and, uh, and and we won it. We, it's not often that we we win silverware at Watford. So to win a, a tournament like that, it was very exciting. Yeah, yeah. Drysdale, Solomon, oh. Thomas, Porter, Stella, Hesson, Tyler, Stella, Liner. Amazing. Of it's course, we still, at Watford we still use uh, cassette tapes quite quite a lot, pretty much every week. Marco cassette tapes. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could see that coming. I, I was hoping it wouldn't go there, but it did. Um, also on the vlog, um, yeah. to get away from that quite quickly, uh, is our list of Watford in a hundred objects. Here it is, a collection of historic and intriguing items that define Watford Football Club. Oh, it's Watford in a hundred objects! Uh, for a while now we have been uh, in search of a hundred objects that define Watford Football Club. They can be objects that signify an important moment in the club's history or they might be an object that mean a lot to you personally as a Watford fan. There's 41 at the moment. Number 42, 43 and 44 are going to go in now. Mike, number 42, what is it? I'm never one to boast, but I think I'm about to slam in the biggest object so far. <laughs> And it is um, Watford uh, Stadium Holt. Now, I believe uh, that's the correct name, but it, what yeah. in effect, what it was, was a train station near Vicarage Road. Um, it was opened in 1982, and I think the purpose of it was to deliver primarily away fans to Vicarage Road Stadium without them having the chance to get into town and cause trouble, because this was the 80s, the height of the hooliganism problem, and lots of naughty away fans would uh, descend on Vicarage, on Watford and cause absolute carnage. So this, this, this station was opened, and uh, away fans were taken straight to Vicarage Road, straight in, so they didn't have to mix with the general public, and they didn't get a chance to uh, beat up the poor Watford fans. Um, it was opened by none other than Sir Elton John, um, and of course, this was a train service, so its first um, its first outing it was late, of course <laughs> it was. but I think this was more down to uh, the uh, the press coverage that that Sir Elton uh, inspired. Um, and I think it was Manchester United the first game, okay. uh, and it delivered uh, part the Man United part of what was a twenty five thousand crowd to and from Vicarage Road safely. It was a good thing, and it finally shut down in two thousand and three. It lasted. And obviously, go on. Going to say, Jason, there's, there's, in the news uh, the last couple of weeks, there's going to be a new Vicarage Road Stadium. A new Vicarage Road Stadium? What we all dream? Jason, then, whatever. That'd be nice. Um, yes, there is. Uh, there was a, a, an online petition recently because the. Uh, the Metropolitan Line is now going to run to Watford Junction, so that link is going to open up again. Um, and the good people of TFL were originally going to name the station West Watford. Uh, RMP, Richard Harrington, and Mayor Dorothy Thornhill both uh, agreed with a lot of Watford fans who signed the petition that the station should in fact be named Vicarage Road, as it identified more with the area, a much more famous name. Uh, and lo and behold, the TFL were persuaded and they changed their minds and it is going to be called Vicarage Road. Now, apparently it's not the exact same station, um, but it's going to be fairly near and of course a, a, a big thing for hopefully uh, lots of Watford what fans to use. And it's opening in 2016, I think. Yeah. And what odds that Man United could be the visitors <laughs> when this one opens? <laughs> well, well, you never know. I don't well, know. I might get relegated. Well, well, <laughs> I fall apart. <laughs> you never know, Man United. Right, oh, so the, the 43rd object is a set of wedding rings. Two wedding rings. Not any old wedding rings, but Peter, Peter Birch's wedding rings. Peter is a lifelong Watford fan who now lives in Norway. And I met him in the pub the night before the playoff final. He told us about the significance of him getting 
these two rings. Both the times I've been married, Watford have played Leicester. The first time was on the 2nd of September 1989 and I got married that day in St Michael's Church in West Watford and we were playing Leicester at home and I believe at half time we were 2-1 up. We went on to win that game 3-1. How do you know that it was 2-1 at half time? Because one of my friends, as I was walking down the aisle, said to me, Bertie, <laughs> we're 2-1 <two> up. <laughs> and I said, apparently on the video, oh, are we? <laughs> <laughs> My ex-wife always said that I ruined the video. Then, this year, I'm getting married again in Oslo in Norway, May 11th, 2013. And again, it's half-time in a Watford-Leicester game over two legs. Yeah, half-time of the play semi-final, yeah. Thursday and, and yeah. Sunday, half-time. And, and OK, we were 1-0 down from the first league, but we went on to win that one 3-1. Every time I've got married, and hopefully there won't be a third time. <laughs> <laughs> Unless Watford play this in the FA Cup final, are you yeah. happy to get divorced and married again? Can you guarantee that Watford are going to win the Cup final? Well, if, if you get married, yeah. I'm prepared to uh, think about it if, if we win the Cup final. We win the semi-final. So what you want me to get divorced again? again. If, if Watford <laughs> play Leicester oh, that in the FA Cup final. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm prepared to do it. If someone can finance it, then I'm prepared to do it. I'm <laughs> sure my new wife will be up there. <laughs> <laughs> she can't hear this, right? No, no, no. <laughs> what about rules for 100 objects? Is that an object cannot go in if it is still in use? So, with the news this week that a large section of the East stand is going to be demolished soon. We want to hear your memories of the East Stand, or the Main Stand, depending on how you want to mm. refer to it as. Uh, moments that you saw, things that you remember, they might be big club events, or they could be, you know, small little quirky things that happened, especially for you, whilst in the East Stand. Did you have a birthday party there? I, I almost lost my life in the East Stand. Did you? Did you? Oh, yeah. Well, watching Watford v Torquay, and the auto <laughs> uh, wins for you. That, that game, it was nearly freeze to, uh, yeah. freeze to death. It was minus... Whatever, 20, yeah. it must have been, minus 30, minus 40. Talk about a Qatar World Cup being too hot. <laughs> this was too good. Un- incredible. Uh, so what will you do is either email us your, uh, your stories, podcast at fromtherookerend.com, or uh, actually, this season we'd prefer you to do this. You can go to fromtherookerend.com, and uh, on the right is a green button that says start recording slash upload audio. And uh, we'd like to send us your memories so we can put them on the podcast. Object number 44, Jason. An ITV digital box. Now, we've already talked to, uh, to Lionel on the podcast and uh, about his new book, Tales from the Vicarage. Uh, in the first volume of, of that book, he wrote about the first invasion of Italians under Gianluca Viali. And the ITV digital box played quite a, a role in that season. So here's Lionel to, to expand on the ITV digital box. The ITV Digital Box was, uh, it's one of the white elephants of modern football. I'm sure if you trawl the junk shops up and down the country, you may well find one of these rare artefacts, probably worth a fortune now, probably worth almost as much as ITV Digital paid for the rights to cover um, the three leagues of English football that aren't the Premiership. Um, and from a layman's perspective that's always a bit of a strange business model let's buy English football for £315 million without having the rights to show the best of English football and that really highlights the folly of ITV Digital they got, they got drunk on the notion that, that football could make a broadcaster in the same way that the Premier League had made Sky um, what they ignored was that people are willing to spend 
an amount per month to watch Manchester United and Liverpool and Arsenal who have a huge fan base sort of up and down the country people aren't going to behave in quite the same way when it's Barnsley uh, Knox County Watford even and so ITV Digital having set up this company um, they gave the Football League £315 million for the rights to show the matches Watford's were the first team to be shown live by ITV Digital, their match at Manchester City at the Old Main Road. Um, it was billed as kind of a clash of cultures. Kevin Keegan was their manager, badger-haired Kevin Keegan. Um, and Watford had suave, uh, smooth-pated Gianluca Viali um, as their manager. And both teams were the, the, the favourites to go up. Um, from the what is now the championship and we're talking what year are we talking now 2000-2001 and like Watford's fortunes that season the ITV digital bubble burst pretty quickly by the autumn uh, stories were in the press that literally nobody was watching viewing figures were so low that they didn't even register as an official viewing figure with Barb who ordered these things and so ITV digital with virtually no subscribers, a tiny audience and a huge bill to pay ran into difficulty very soon. The problem for the football clubs, Watford included, was that they banked on this money coming in. They saw the huge potential sums of money that they could they could uh, get from ITV Digital and they ran out and spent it on, in Watford's case, Ramon Vega. Um, and so the, the fortunes of Watford kind of neatly sort of nosedived along with ITV Digital. By the end of that season, um, the broadcaster basically had to admit that it didn't have enough money uh, to carry on. The deal collapsed and the clubs were left with huge gaps in their finances. And of course, within 18 months or two years, Watford's players had to take a pay cut voluntarily just to keep the club afloat, keep them out of administration. Other clubs, I think Leicester went into administration around the same time and kind of they were the club that that circumnavigated the rules, didn't they? That's why they brought in the deduction of 10 points if you went bust and then reformed as a new company. So it really changed the face of football, really. A lot of the, you know, we see now Coventry points deducted. Um, Luton, of course, had points deducted. Although I think one of the rules of football should be that Luton should start on minus 10 every year. I can't see, I can't see them bringing that in. But um, yeah, so the ITV digital box, a benign plastic box that sort of sits in a rather ugly fashion next to the TV. It's the symbol of everything that kind of that went wrong for football in that in that decade. And that's without even mentioning the knitted monkey and Johnny Vegas. <laughs> Ciao, sono Gianfranco Zola and you're listening from the Rookie DM. Now, we've been whispering on um, this podcast for a couple of minutes now, but also for, for this is our fourth season of from the Rookie End, uh, isn't it, Mike? But uh, the, you know, we, we like to get more Watford fans on the podcast. The more the merrier. Absolutely. We're a big Watford family. We want to hear from all our cousins, brothers, sisters, mums, dads, etc. etc. Um, and we want, this season, we want to hear from you more um, rather than just being us and it's very easy it's incredibly easy for you to share your thoughts feelings observations or any sort of expression as a football fan that you want to make all you have to do is go to fromtherookerend.com click on the green button that says start recording slash upload audio and follow the instructions uh, we get sent a little message sort of like a, an answer phone message yeah. you might might get uh, but a little bit better quality uh, so with our good start to the season so far uh, we asked for your reaction after Birmingham uh, and also after Bristol Rovers 
uh, about who, after the show, we said who's, who's going to be the most important players of the season. Uh, and this is what uh, you've sent us already. First game in, pretty happy to be honest. I knew it would be a tight affair and I think we'll find that teams will adjust the way they play against us after the way our reputation grew as the season wore on last time round. If I'm not mistaken, Birmingham tried to play the same system as us, which is always going to stifle the things he wanted to do, especially with three men in the middle. Kechianya is going to be massive this season. Uh, he put in a huge performance, which was highlighted in his Man of the Match award. But it's all looking good and we still would like to have extra to come back when he's back to full fitness, who for me is our best player by country mile. I think it would be very easy to get carried away about the prospect for the new season with all the new signings that we've made. Yesterday's results are anything to go by. It will not be um, very easy to say the very least. Last year the relegated clubs underperformed but Reading, QPR, Wigan all won yesterday so I think it's very important for us this season to get off to a good start and take things very much from there. I very much would like to see Mr Vidra, the Otter, back up front uh, for us because I just had the impression yesterday that if we did have him then we would have probably won the game more comfortably. It's got to be Anya. Against Birmingham, his bursts of speed, his ability to get behind the defence was scaring the hell out of them and it was exciting the hell out of me. So from one game that I've seen, I'd say Anya continuing his form into this season. Awesome. Lord Doyley. Thanks to uh, CM underscore Watford FC uh, for your message and to the other three uh, people who sent messages, please leave your name, uh, where you sit, where you're from, uh, just a little bit more about you so we can stick it on the podcast and say thank you for all your efforts. Uh, do uh, send us your thoughts. So that was after the Birmingham and Bristol Rovers game and then we went on to play yet a, another team beginning with B, this time Bournemouth. Uh, we ended up winning it 6-1. I don't know if you've heard, but it was, it was a pretty good afternoon. Uh, we've got a bit of an insider at Bournemouth. Uh, she's a Watford fan. You've heard on the podcast before. She's written a few blog posts for us on uh, fromtherookend.com. Kelly Sommers. Uh, and uh, she is now, for From the Rookend, a secret agent. Kelly Sommers, secret agent. We're leaving the Bournemouth camp. For the past few months, to be honest, has been a massive optimism. Um, there's been no negative things to happen to the club. We were kind of, we've kind of been riding on the high of promotion. An opening win against Charlton really kind of continued that mood and then, of course, progressing into the League Cup tie, sorry, last Tuesday against Portsmouth. Going into the game against Watford, there was a kind of a sense of, OK, perhaps this isn't going to be as easy and there was a lot of good things, from my point of view, said about Watford. People were aware of the threat they posed and I think kind of... They look at Watford and it was nice to hear for once that there wasn't just oh, there a bunch of Italians. There was an appreciation of the football Watford play. I don't know if people were saying that because they were around me, but there was a kind of real respect and admiration for what Zola and the boys did last season. And they wanted no illusions as to the threat that they posed, whether they quite realised how dangerous they were going forward. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that was off the problem on Saturday. The feeling was that if they got a point, that would have been a good result. I think looking back now they'd have also said that um, but yeah it was it was admiration I'd say mainly Eddie said that it would be a good yardstick to kind of see how far we still had to go after the match 
well, it was surreal, particularly surreal for me being a Watford fan. I celebrated the second goal. I celebrated it more, perhaps, because at 1-1 one, one at half-time, I was sitting there thinking, I'd never kind of, in my heart, I'd never kind of possibly thought that Bournemouth could win, go on and win the game. And at half-time, the way Bournemouth had played, they would have been deserved, if they'd gone into 2-1-up, I think anyone within the ground would have said that would have been deserved. So when the, the goal went in at 2-1, there was a real sense of relief, and then I kind of felt like, well, we're never going to let the game go. But when it got to 3-4-1, there was no more celebrations for me, because obviously Bournemouth had to my heart, and then it kind of, when you get to 4-1, I think that's kind of when it goes into hammering. Um, and I never wanted to see Bournemouth lose by that, and I... I want Watford to win 6-1 every, every week because I had someone at work, but not on Saturday, I didn't want that. After, I think there was a sense of, OK, we've lost 6-1, but they knew they'd lost 6-1 to a very, very good team. I mean, I think I speak on behalf of many Watford fans and I say I haven't seen Watford destroy a team like they did in that second half. But as much as they destroyed them, they didn't. It sounds a bit surreal, and I think there was, amongst Paul's players, there was kind of the acceptance of we've been undone by some very good, some very good players there, a very good side. And like I said previously, a team that they kind of maybe model themselves on because they appreciate the passing style of football. But they perhaps knew that they, what they did in the first half was enough to try to take positives. But I think they feel that they maybe forced Watford in to change, to up their game. Um, and I think Watford underestimated them, which is a compliment to them. Um, and they forced Watford to go in at half-time and Zola had to reshuffle and they did it very successfully. I think it's maybe made Bournemouth realise they need to have a plan B. They were a bit naive, they've said, and Eddie was not happy with a couple of the goals. But they've learnt lessons and I think in the first half, as you saw from Bournemouth, they are a very good side. And I mean, I have complete faith that they'll stay up, as I think most Watford fans will. Kelly Summers, Secret Agent. So Kelly might be a little bit of our secret agent. I like the fact she kept a hushed voice. Well, yeah, she knows her. She knows her position. He replicated it as well. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's catchy. Well, you uh, can't see it. We've all got hats and uh, shades on. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give the game away. Yeah. Uh, so she's going to go out and about in the championship. See what other people, journalists, people, uh, you know, fans. What what are they saying about Watford? How well do you know Kelly? Though, do you not think she might turn? Do you not think she might stick? She's a lady. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I think she'll be pretending that she's going out to find some of that stuff for Watford for us, but she's actually, I don't know. I've met her mum, so no, I reckon she's fine. So after the game, uh, Jason and I hooked up with Lana Burney uh, to have a chat about what was just a, a, a wonderful Saturday afternoon, sat in the sunshine, in the rookery end. Uh, I don't think we've ever done a bit of a podcast following a 6-1 home win right. for Watford. No. Um, that was pretty fun, Jason. It was good fun eventually, wasn't it? <laughs> eventually. Yeah, wow. Strange game. Bournemouth were right as well. The Bournemouth were right. We weren't outstanding. No, no. But yeah, we've come away with a well, the, the, the six on win. Well, that second half was, it was in fact a game of uh, a game of two halves there, Jeff. Um, as they, they say in the country. But uh, uh, Lionel's still with Lionel. Um, it wasn't a, an amazing sort of first half for Watford. No, I think the, the last 20 minutes of the first half and the first 20 minutes of the second half highlighted the difference when Watford are willing to work as a team, defend as a unit, all track back, all slot back into that five-man midfield, win the ball together and then break and attack together. The last 20 minutes of the first half looked like a team that thought we're 1-0 up, the goals will just come along yeah, if, we, yeah. if we just keep the ball and if we just do the real basics right. And of course, Bournemouth were a better team than that. They weren't going to let Watford dominate them and, and, and 
get behind them. So it, I felt like Zola must have said to them at half-time, look, you've got, to, you've got to be eight or nine out of ten in all areas of the pitch to beat teams like this, as you have to in the Championship. And the second half was, I mean, it, it was sort of one-way traffic where in that first 20 minutes and the, the goals came. And as we saw last season, you know, um, there were games where we played like that in spells but didn't get the goals. Yeah. And so the most heartening thing for me was that when they were on top, they really made it count. Because Bournemouth, Jason, weren't, um, it wasn't like they were playing a, a team we were playing they're trying to stop us playing our football. It was like they were actually trying to impose them. Yeah, I mean, they, they nice. were playing their own football. And like Lana said, we, we got the goal and then we thought we could just sort of keep on to it, keep on the ball. When we didn't, we did give the ball away quite a lot, I thought, after we got the goal. Um, when we were giving it away, they were getting in behind us. Annual looked great coming forward. It looked like he needed a bit of hands, or a bit of, a bit of a helping hand behind him, so we're getting behind him on the right hand side quite a bit. And that's where their, their equaliser came from. And when they scored, it wasn't that surprising. Now, Alan Abbey didn't have the best uh, first half. He sort of seemed a bit off touch, but, but they were also in first career. First half, they were honest as quickly as they could, and there was a point in the second half where I think Anya had about ten yards with no one around him. You know, that was almost like mate, I don't. I don't know if it's a, a depth of um, our bench line or, or maybe not fitness, because I don't think we're then, say, a, a mega fit team. The difference when when you've got a player like Anya who pops up on the left, pops up on the right. No matter how disciplined you are. You know, and Bournemouth were disciplined. Yeah. It's still very hard to. You're almost passing Anya over. So when when Anya's moving across, you're asking questions of everybody in the Bournemouth defence while that kind of changeover happens. Meanwhile, other players are exploiting the. You know, those first few minutes when Bournemouth were trying to get to grips with the fact that he's popped up somewhere else on the other side of the pitch is creating opportunities for the rest of Watford's midfield and, and forward line. And I think, you know, Bournemouth they. They had that problem. They didn't quite know whether the best tactic with Anya was to mark him tight, mm. in which case he's got that little trick and the pace to get get past, or whether to let him have space. And really, they let him have a bit too much space on both sides of the pitch, and he punished them. First hat trick since first hat trick since Chopra, which was away from home at Burnley in 2003, and the first one here I think since Phillips against Bristol City in, in 1997 on loan to prison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he can whack that ball now and put it in the back of the goal. He he had so many times before that. That's oh yeah, I, I think we did progression he's made. I think from when he came, like I said, when he came out of prison last season to where he is now. That that progression last season was very much like the progress that Danny Graham made I think in his last season here where he at the start of that season where he just seemed to be developing as a player week on week and we've seen Beanie now do things that we couldn't dream we'd do sort of, uh, mm-hmm. a couple of seasons ago As you, you and Mike went to Bristol Rovers mm. this week we went down there two seasons ago and oh, I always yeah. remember that great chance he had in front of goal where all he needed to do was finish it and, he, and he's taken two or three touches one on one 10, 12 yards from goal when as a striker he should just be putting it in the corner he was today great. he's got a wall of defenders in front of him he's just turned bang pops it in the he in was the great last that game wasn't he <laughs> yeah. uh, so who is your favourite new <laughs> <Walker> <laughs> player? You possible, you possible maybe possible 
let's say, man, who's going to play this season, Jason? Oh, well, <laughs> you're asking me the yeah, grand season. Go with it. Oh, okay. oh, oh really? my word, I don't know. Um, Angela Fabrini, I don't know. I don't, that's someone, one, asked, someone asked me for a man to watch this season. I said Fabrini. Obviously, we've only seen about 20 minutes of him uh, today. I, 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 McGugan as well was... Um, Pick one, Jason. Oh, do I think? Yeah. Oh, okay, right. I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to say McGugan. Okay, I'm going to say McGugan <laughs> because he was. Uh, I, I high expectations of all these guys that are coming from wherever they're coming coming from. McGugan, we've actually been able to talk to Forest fans about him, and mm. they were saying, "Oh no, he's he's a bit sort of up and down, doesn't really perform." And I was thinking, at, at, at sort of even at I think it was a three-one where I thought I'm not seeing enough of the midfield as a as a as a trio. Um, and then as, as soon as I thought it, McGugan's picked the ball up edge of our box carried out of trouble effortlessly and then two minutes later Santos has picked the ball up on the halfway line touched it Abdi Abdi through ball McGugan goal he's in midfield and I'm thinking okay yeah we're alright aren't we we're alright <laughs> so yeah I don't know, I, what probably didn't help us I'm going a bit off stuff what I also thought first half was that we were trying too many times to go back to front too quickly yeah 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 over the top of the midfield and we didn't really involve them in the game I think once they were involved in the game I think that made a big difference so all of that um, let, let's start with McGugan I will probably change my mind I'm going to go with Anya just because I think I like him as a person um, I don't know if anyone read the article in Independent the interview I had with him you think he's a nice fella we met him once and he was a lovely fella uh, and I like my favourite footballers are the ones where you know where they've come from and how, how they've developed and again you think back to him um, it, was a, it was a fantastic game to watch well, maybe in the second half at least and all the euphoria stuff that we've been talking about and our hopes for the season were there in that game that we saw today at Vickers Road. I'm sure there'll be a point this season where it won't happen, but if they play the way they can play and they, they sort of stick to their guns, success can only be a Welford way this season. On the basis of today, I thought Ange- uh, Gabby Angela, the, um, the, new, the new Joel Ekstrand. Yeah, um, I'm worried about that. Well, no, I love I, Joel. I think, I think that... Uh, as much as I love Cassetti, I prefer him on, you know, playing out wide rather than as, as one of the three um, central defenders. But I think Ekstrand, uh, Angela, together, you know, they're both similar players. But I think the way he, you know, he, he looked to pass the ball out, which was nice. Um, but what I like most about him was that he scored two proper centre half goals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he larruped it into the into the roof of the net um, as if it was, as if he was clearing his own line, <laughs> and then he headed one in as if he was trying to head it from sort of your own penalty box to the halfway line. Yeah, so yeah. Um, he was he was outstanding. I thought. Yeah. So he was, uh, was who was going to get the hatchet first? Was it going to be Angelo? Was it going to be yeah, uh, they, Dini? There was a, there was a moment when they were both. You know, I think uh, I think uh, he, he would have liked it. He would have liked the opportunity to. Yeah, yeah. I did notice. Game. I did notice that when uh, when Dini sort of run off to celebrate after his penalty, and Gellard was just sort of down on his haunches. <laughs> right, right. Looked like he gutted. He didn't. He, if Dini wasn't on two, he, he may well have been given the opportunity <laughs> to go for his hat trick. We're the Orns. You're the Orns. Come on, you Orns. Life is is fun and good as as a what what for fan. No, it's in the podcast. No, not really. Um, we're, we, we're three games in. Uh, next three games we've got, um, Jason, until the international break. Uh, Reading away. Uh, Forest at home. Blackpool away. Is this going to be our welcome to the championship for this season? Oh, I think so. That's uh, the, the next three league games, of course. We've got the Bournemouth oh, and the uh, Cup yeah. game. Touching. That'll be, again, I'm sure that'll be reserved squad. Um, yeah, these, these are a much bigger test I think than we've had so far and not to say that, that Birmingham away all Bournemouth at home are easy games we've said it many times no easy games in the championship but 
Yeah, I mean, in the pre-season podcast, I talked about uh, teams that I thought would be up there, and two of them are in there, Reading and Forest, and Blackpool have had a great start to their league season, uh, two wins out of two. Um, it'd be nice to stick one over that Winger Ince. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think three tough games coming up. I think we'll know a lot more about um, our, our credentials, if you like, at the, at the end of this little clutch of games. Because although the, the, the Bournemouth game was a 6-1 win, I think it's been much publicised and, and discussed that it wasn't a, a run-of-the-mill 6-1 win. It wasn't Watford running riot over, over Bournemouth, as the, as, the, as the scoreline suggested. So I think it's fair to say that Watford are still a work in progress. And there's the parts of the areas of the pitch where... Um, it's not functioning as as it is it would in our dream sort of thing, but after three two league games and one cup game, I think it's churlish to to read too much into that. But the, but interestingly, you, and you know, we, we say there's three big games coming up. You go back to what Kelly said about how Bournemouth are sort of treating this six-one loss mm. as almost like they were waiting for their test in the championship. Thank goodness it's it's happened early. I mean, I know it's 6-1, but thank goodness it's happened early. I wouldn't mind losing one of those games uh, heavily. Not heavily, but by two yeah. goals. To really sort of wake up, to really focus, to really know what you need to do. It's, it's, almost, it's almost sort of reminds me of our season in the Premier League under Boothroyd where we were losing by the odd goal in, in a lot of games sort of right up until Christmas. And everyone kept saying how unlucky we were and how oh, isn't it a shame Patsy Marlon was fit. Perhaps if we'd have got a good spanking early on, that, that, that might have woken people up and things needed to change, which would have been a tough ask, of course. But yeah, there, there is something to be said for getting a good kick in and a, and a, a sense of reality early on in the season. Boys, I can't believe <laughs> what I'm hearing. What's happened? If you, you were wearing my clothes and you had my breakfast and stuff, these things are completely <laughs> have switched roles. I cannot believe. I've never been... Um, I'll, I'll admit it, I'm, ex- I'm, I'm expecting... And, yeah. I'm, and I'm positive and I'm excited and, I'm, and those games are incredibly tough games you know Reading away hugely well organised big crowd same at Forest Billy Davies loved them well drilled blah 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 Blackpool miles away um, tricky place to go but 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 what a side we have you know we've got ball playing defenders we've got maestros in midfield we've got Troy Deeney who I've watched those Bournemouth games uh, goals time and time again that is a man who knows who is scoring goals with his eyes shut he just knows where the ball's going to be he knows how to beat a man he knows how to get the space to get the shot off and he knows how to get the ball in the back of the net Okay, we're, we're, we're going to win all three we're going to win all three well look do you know well, what I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if we sat here and we had won all three um, and if we're going to get a spanking, let's get spanked in the Capital One Cup. Although, <laughs> stood on the terraces at Bristol Rovers last week, I thought, you know, we could go deep into this competition as well. And right. while we've got to be, we can never be um, expectant is is one thing, confident is another. But sort of assuming it's going to happen, I don't assume it's going to happen. What I what I've realised now, and it's quite nice, is that we're capable of doing it. Mm. And I don't think we're going to sneak results we're going to really really earn these results because we have got a squad that is just full of of magnificent players and I suppose you know having seen that last 20 minutes of the first half against Bournemouth and the fact that we know that Watford held on at Birmingham means that they have been tested indeed and still won I'm not saying maybe saying I want us to be spanked and to lose the game dramatically to, to wake them up but as long as you don't want 
a team to leave 6-1 going, we are the champions, do you? And I know, I know they won't. I know they won't be. But that's sort of... I don't think you want to make it sure been, that uh, everything's just in place. We, yeah, we know, we know before the start of the season, at the start of the season, we were saying we need to keep our feet on the ground. And that result the weekend did nothing to help that at all. Uh, and there's a lot of expectation there, even more than there was previously. But, um, yeah, these I think these three games will give us a, a lot more realistic idea of, of where we are at the moment and, and what we're capable of this season. One player we're going to hopefully see in the next uh, couple of weeks is... Esaid Belkalim. Say it again? Esaid Belkalim, I think. Uh, the new yeah. big man. Another big man. But the most important thing. Yeah. The most important thing. He's on loan. He <laughs> <laughs> got on loan from Granada as well. Yeah, really yeah, really I'm so happy that we've got loans in again. <laughs> it just feels weird with these permanent signings. Uh, so he's coming in, and that means we've got three six foot two centre backs. We have. And, 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 and sorry to add to the loan, he's our loan loan signing. Yeah, so far. Yeah, yeah, with three big boys like that at the back, going forward, we've all seen Angela scoring two headers so Angela, far. we've had it confirmed. Angela? Angela. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was going to be Angela, I'm disappointed. Yeah, I think, uh, like I say, I keep watching lots of goals on TV, <laughs> and the common commentators are definitely using oh, Angela. And I think Marksby has used it as well. I, I, just, I thought, I'd, I think it was either Football League show goals on Sunday where. They started off with Angela and finished up on Angela, so I'm not sure what right. happened. Started in the 1990 World Cup, they started off uh, Roger Miller, and by the oh, end of it, but we've got three big centre backs. Uh, what's the name again? Esaid Belklem, uh, Angela, and yeah. the man who's on Bond, his way back. Bond, mate. <laughs> Bond. Yeah, Bond. Bond Jella. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> And now I've seen that look before. You're not cutting that out. <laughs> We're worried about Fitz Hall coming back because he was what an important player he was um, last season. And obviously uh, that contract hasn't been renewed. Fitz has moved on. Um, but this guy, Jason, his name is Saeed Belkalim. He's an Algerian international. I think he's played over 20 games um, at international level. So this is the sort of player that's come in to replace Fitz Hall, who was injury. He was great, and I'm not. I won't say a word against him, but. The reason he's not back at Watford is because he was he was injured a lot and he didn't manage a full season. Um, but I think most of us would have had him back regardless of that. We've basically, in effect, replaced him with someone who, and again, no respect to Fitzhall, is a, is a cut above him now in terms of the career path. And, and it's all these sort of things that feed into um, not overconfidence and we are keeping our feet on the ground. You know, you know us as three football fans, uh, Watford fans, we know not to get carried away. But I think there does come a time where you have to allow yourself to be excited and to and to revel in it a little bit. These guys coming in are, are, are magnificent, and he's the the latest one. And the fact he's unknown as well is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> but it's just a real indication of that these guys are doing things properly for our football club. And we mentioned earlier the the the, the station, little things like that. You know, we're going to have a dedicated tube tube line tube station called Vicarage Road. It's all everything is coming together. It feels like. It's a perfect storm, ready to wash over the championship. You have been warned. We're coming. <laughs> Come on, you horns. Uh, and we are coming back uh, next month for another podcast. Uh, the first Sunday of the month is our plan for the podcast to come out. Uh, so we're back after the Blackpool game. Uh, we are coming back with John and Mike. Oh, by the way, I do reserve the right. If you have lost those three games, be miserable still in the next game. <laughs> we'll that at least another four or five lanes. Yeah, hi. I'm Jason. Yeah, see you later. Um, and uh, we'll be back soon. Take me to see Come on, you're on. Yeah,